The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Online listeners, we are now picking up on page 83. The title of this message is called Repentance. And I know that we've had a long day already, so probably repentance is not something you're thinking about doing. Walking around the block, which we'll do after this message, you know, moving around a little bit is probably what you are thinking about. But uh, it is a very important message, to say the least. And here's our purpose statement. Indwelt Christians need to repent often. In the gracilistic movement, you repent once, and that's at salvation. And you don't have to do it again. It almost borders on sinless perfection. Uh, Let's double check. Microphone's good. Podcast is good. We're on. Sin cannot be ignored in the life of an indwelled believer. Not today, not tonight, not tomorrow morning, not in the afternoon. We're not asking for getting on your knees and reconfessing your entire life and calling God a liar because he said that he wiped away your transgressions through the blood of Christ. And when you keep bringing the same sins before the living God, you're calling him a liar. Do you get it? See, we're not talking about confessing the same sins over and over before the living God. Unless you're an unsaved person, you need to do that all day long. Until you receive Jesus Christ. And once you confess a sin after you have received Jesus Christ, it is done, it is over, don't bring it up again. But if you confess a new one, that's a different story. How would you feel to have your child come to you and constantly confessing about when they broke that lamp and it was five and a half years ago? It's a serious question. Mom, what would you tell this young man? Huh? But he comes back the next day and he says, Mom, I'm so sorry for breaking that lamp five years ago. And he comes back that afternoon and says, Mom, I'm really, really, really sorry I broke that lamp five years ago. Son, if you bring that up again, I'm going to give you a spanking. (laughs) It's over. It's finished. Why do you keep doing this? I have forgiven you. I've told you I forgave you every day since. Appropriation of identity is final. It has a finality to it. But it doesn't escape us from repentance. These are fun little diagrams. They have turned out to be a couple of my wife's favorite. And this is one of the ones I was sitting in my chair and and the Lord says, you know, grab your marker. And that is kind of an exciting moment for me because it's almost like taking a blank canvas and going, okay, this is going to be fun. I don't know where God's going with this, but this is going to be fun. That's how this diagram was me. So I drew it on the board and I added this piece and then that piece and whatever. And, you know, if I think I'm smarty, you know, and i am got a cutting edge gift that no one else has got, then I'm being lied to. Everyone has this ability to hear God, pick up your pencil and do what Habakkuk says and record it. 
Pictures just happen to be a way I do that. And here's what God showed me in regard to a natural man walking in the flesh. In is in red, and it's in red for a reason, because it is who they are. In means who you are. After means who you're not, but you want to be a wannabe for that old way and identity you had before. After is you're truly in one identity acting like another. In is that is your identity. This picture up here is depicting a man who is sin. That little kid who broke that lamp five years ago is sin. Do you understand that? You try to take a little guy or a little gal and try to prove to them they're not sin, you're lying to them. Because God is after a work of breaking that that child down to the point of saying, I am a sinner. I repent. And look at the coffees coming in. I repent from dust to ashes. For anything my life is other represent, I repent. Hebrew. Draw a little house, Stephen. Draw fire coming from the house. This, my son, is repentance. You know, it blows me away sometimes. I, I do listen to God. I, I, it's not an audible voice. I haven't heard one of those yet, thank God. But they are very loud thoughts. And so I'll write them draw down, draw them out, or whatever the case may be. And a lot of times I'll get Hebrew word pictures, and I don't know what they mean, so I go to my Hebrew word picture pictorial dictionary, and I draw it out, the letters and whatever, and oftentimes find a Hebrew word picture inside the dictionary of what I just drew. But I was never taught. I believe God, if he had his way, would still communicate with pictures. My work is evidence of that. So the whole reason for me being not able to read or write and have constant rejection from teachers and blah, 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 is useful in focusing on pictorial. And that's what we're seeing here is a pictorial of Satan in his world. He thinks... He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords on this earth. In reality, he's nothing more than the Lord of a bunch of flies. Annoying flies. Buzzing around your Christian minds with lies and temptations and worldviews. That is annoying and distracting. That's what flies remind me of. Demonic forces. And it takes some effort to stop what you're doing, grab the flask wider, and bring some death to that thing. Our Christian walks are like that. So here of Satan who thinks this is his world, and you know what God's going to do? Take it! I'm not done with it quite yet, but take it! And then I'm going to set the whole thing on fire. And then I'm going to take this globe and I am going to toss it. This is after he removes all the stars. Can you imagine this, folks? 
I'm speaking to you right out of the book of Revelation. Can you imagine God turning off every star and creating absolute darkness? Snapping this globe, setting it on fire, and every one of his little buzzy little flies, demonically or humans, that supported his agenda are in the middle of this lake of fire, and God grabs a hold of this earth, not so much the pretty little marble image we have in our mind today, and he tosses it into the outer darkness. That's exactly what the verse says. Forever. You reconstructionists, and I know there's a couple of you listening, who think that God has got to reconstruct this earth, rebirth this earth, but the piece I can't understand, gentlemen, and please send me your emails on this, because I'd like to have a discussion with you. The part I don't understand with that theology thinking is why would I spend eternity on a new earth with Satan underneath my feet? And every dead soul who followed him, which will be 90% of every person, every born, will be suffering under my feet on this new earth. I'm not getting that peace. I've never had one of them respond with an appropriate theological answer to that because this earth is not going to be refined because it eliminates the destination of lost souls. doesn't go together. God's stuff always goes together. So he thinks he is the big boy of this earth. And you know what? It's going to be given to him and it's darkened in that person in that picture on purpose because God's going to give him the planet in the same form in which he was put on the planet and that was how again when he was put here formless. It was like looking at a moon. This thing was dead. This thing had no life in it. This thing was null and void. This thing was a place of punishment. And when he was removed from heaven for that statement of Godship, he was tossed from heaven like a bolt of lightning, and he landed on this formless planet. And then God chooses this formless planet to breathe life into it? I'm hearing just a little bit of the gospel. And this ugly, formless planet all of a sudden becomes, after seven precious days, an unbelievably beautiful planet. And I can go on for hours on talking to you about from Genesis to the book of Revelation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And punishing Satan the whole way through it. And that's what we're talking about here. He uses external influence, demonic visions that come in and speak to the the unsaved conscious mind. The old nature is still inside that person. The old nature is the son of Satan. Remember when Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, You are of your father, Satan. These are the smartest men in the entire world. These are the most educated men in the entire world. And he's saying, you're sons of Satan. Your daddy is Satan. Well, Jesus obviously understood this. 
Your old nature, before it was crucified with Jesus Christ, it was the son of Satan. It was the mirrored image, your flesh is the mirrored image of the characteristics of Satan. Now when I look in the mirror, I am to see my new daddy. I am to see the characteristics of Jesus Christ, as Marcos just said. Well, he doesn't want that to happen. He wants his demonic worldview to be ingrained into your conscious mind and all those little yellow stars that you see there are particular sins. And he knows how the human mind works because he was standing there when God developed it. Here's how your mind works, scientifically. When you go through your day, there are thousands of things put into your conscious mind. Billboards, music, tunes, arguments, seeing nasty things on television, whatever. And God has designed your mind that if you let the sun go down on your wrath, it's going to get into the recesses of your mind and Satan will call them forward for years to come. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And if you go to the Greek and look up that wrath, it doesn't mean anger. It means rebellion. And if you think that you can go through your day and see all this crap on billboards and, and clutter up your mind with the defilements of Satan and it will not have an effect on you, you are deceived. His plan is simple. He can't get into your mind unless you get possessed by a demon. He can't get into any human's life except for one human. Who is that human? The Antichrist. We talk about Satan like he's walking around in the streets of Sterling. Not. There are demons walking around the streets of Sterling. Satan is confined to his jail in the Middle East. Whatever the official dimensions were of the Garden of Eden, which proof shows us it's a 1,500 square mile block, which happens to be the same size of the New Jerusalem that's coming, that's what he's bound in. It does happen to cover Greece. It does happen to cover Libya. It does happen to cover Jerusalem. It does happen to cover Turkey. There are some, there's a lot of activity going on in that 1,500 square mile, but that's probably where he's at. But demons, on the other hand, is a whole different story. They're flies. Annoying flies. So when you see all this stuff as an unbeliever, you have no other choice but to let him deposit as many seeds as he can into the recesses of your mind. So when you're training children up in the way they should go, you keep these defilements from them. Video games and movies and fantasy books. And you know how many Christians I've had come to me, parents come to me and say, that there's nothing wrong with them reading or the child reading the Harry Potter series. It's embarrassing. 
And then to be able to communicate to them what the original mission was of the Harry Potter series, what that author is involved with. Why do people not ask about the authors of these crazy books? Madeline Lingo. My family and I can tell you a few personal things we had to deal with with her. And one of her books, Wrinkle in Time, has been used in public schools for years. You want to mess, have your mind messed with is do research on that lady. She's about as witchy as they get. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Fantasy is not how God communicates to us, but Satan knows that we think in pictures. So he's used one of his 13 names, which is Medea, to create media in order to take graven imagery and capture the minds of humans through nasty little habits like R-rated movies, fantasy books, video games, and on and on. Oh, they don't have effect on our society now. No, not at all. These kids aren't running through the schools with knives stabbing people because they're taking their guns away from them. Take their guns, take their knives, and I'm telling, telling you, Satan has a plan of continuing to manifest the first sin after Godship is murder. You don't need weapons to murder people. You need an attitude. Murder is more than guns and knives. Satan hates God. He's seeking whom he can devour and kill. This is how he starts. Unregenerate spirit, dead to Christ. Christ is on the outside of the body. The soul, the mind, willing emotions, yeah, they're in there and he's going to plug them full, scar them up, damage them. Because he knows the day is coming when this could happen to this person. Demonic vision, all that stuff through the five senses doesn't change. Comes in and this person who has been born again walking after and in the spirit, we have this defiance against the enemy and this person goes, not going to look at it anymore. Not going there. He's paralyzed. He doesn't own you. He doesn't control you. He has nothing else to do but this. To call to mind former things that he invested in you years earlier. He does that through stress. External forces, division by force. To press in upon this person. So that this person reaches in through their own choices and digs up and grabs a handful of those, those transplants of sin and starts making use of them. This particular person is not doing that. This person knows the game is the same externally, that the spirit is of Christ Jesus. The mind is being renewed because they have the mind of Christ. The will is choosing truth of the groom, betrothed. Emotions is controlled by Christ, hormones. Body is yielded to Christ. 
Over here we have a generated spirit, which means the generator is turned on. It's not dead to Christ anymore. It's alive. It's working. The old man has been crucified with Christ. But nevertheless, I live. I'm standing here right now. But it is not I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. So now, the trash, the old nature has left behind has settled into the recesses of my mind. Satan can only use the primary avenue of having you drag up old things that have been forgiven. Make them new and fresh. That's all he's got left, folks, with you guys. Unless you're an unsaved person sitting here, then you are sin. There was something that Jesus said on the cross that kind of blew my mind. I don't know if it did you, but it was a little too much for me to process. On the cross, Jesus became something. What was it? Sin. See, he knew that all unsaved people were sin. He knew that as that unsaved person stood in front of the mirror, they were going to see the reflection of Satan, their father. He knew that he had to become sin, take it to the cross, and nail it down to the sin. He knew that our old nature needed to be crucified with him because that is the shadow that stands in front of the mirror saying, please say I'm satanic, please say I'm satanic, please say I'm satanic. That's what we're doing when we are clinging to old identity stuff. Please say I'm satanic. Please say I'm stupid. Please say I'm a nobody. Please say I'm a... Please say I'm a... You see those identity statements the same. Please say I, I'm, I'm a reflection of Satan. Jesus will never do it. He said I actually became that so you would never have to say that again. I have freed you. This is who you can say you are. You have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ through the Trinity. God the Father is represented inside you. God the Son is represented in you. And God the Holy Spirit is represented in you. What more do you want? You want more of me? Write a song about it and we'll see if that fixes it. Really? We're singing about more of Jesus? Fill me up, O Lord. It's calling him a liar. How can we as indwell Christians listen to these redundant songs of trying to pound doctrines into our head that God himself is saying, it's done, it's finished. Is that not beautiful, my son? But I got all this trash left behind of the old nature. Yeah, I know, I'm going to have to take care of that in a coffin. In fact, I'm going to leave it behind in that coffin. And I'm going to give you a brand new body to go with the other two-thirds I've, ever, I've already dealt with. I'm going to make you complete and whole. And then I'm going to put you on a brand new earth. Where is it? Or what's it going to look like? Can my son go up there for a few minutes and check it out? reason why I know that that stuff is lying because there is no new earth yet. It's not finished down here. It's demonic visions 
imagery. Nobody gets to go and come back. It's against God's commands. This is what we're to focus on. New life. But here is the spiritual man walking after the flesh. Demonic vision, that's all the same. Through the five senses, that's all the same. The spirit that is of Christ set on the flesh. The mind is set on the flesh. Choosing lies. Not choosing flies, choosing lies. Thought someone on farm appreciate that uh, a little. Emotions is controlled by the flesh. This feels good, right? And the body is yielded to the flesh. But in reality, the body belongs to Christ as a temple. The emotions are to support the decisions you make of following Christ and praise and worship and getting excited and blah, blah, blah. But it's all getting a little twisted up here a little bit because the demonic vision is coming in and you see those new little yellow sin tablets there. He's putting them in the conscious mind throughout the day through billboards and discussions and jokes and whatever. And he's and your guard is down. You're not submitting, therefore, to God and resisting the devil. You're not submitting, therefore, to God and then trying to resist the devil. So therefore there is this hand goes down and he is nailing you. Because he knows what I'm saying to you is absolute truth. It's how it works. Most Christians are running around going, they they think they have a little more power and control in their decisions. Probably not. So then at night when they go to sleep, the cortex, this is... Literally, science, the cortex thins out on the top of your brain. Cortex, you science people, is responsible for what? Decision making. And that cortex relaxes. And it goes from being fairly thick-headed to thinning out. And your mind tosses all these memories and mixes them all up so you start having a dream about grandma being in the tree and there's a snake at the bottom of the tree and you're having this dream like what is this your filing system is all mixing up what you experienced through the day what you experienced yesterday what's going on it all mixes itself up and if the sun went down on your rebellion you're in for a pretty interesting dream. And then your conscious mind's going to seal that all up nice and tight, kick the drawers shut before you wake up. That cortex is going to thicken up again, and pretty soon you've got control again. And you think what happened in the day before has zero effect on you? Surprise, surprise, Satan knows exactly what he's going to do with that file six years from today. You don't think six years ahead. He does. Six years to him is nothing. So he wants to have you choose to drop all that stuff in there. So it's more trash that his old nature is putting into your mind. Your vision gets clouded. Your worldview gets clouded. You have broken fellowship with Christ. Even though your spirit is generated, 
the life of Christ is still in there, the mind, willing emotions become selfish. That is the new man, new you, new life in Christ, walking after the trash. It doesn't even exist. It's an illusion. So a turning point through repentance is what has to take place. We have to be brought to an honest appraisal. And when we come to that honest appraisal, when you talk to a person who is in an honest appraisal, like I took Marcos last week, I think it was last week, through one of his toughest sessions, I waited a while, quite a while, before I went see if he's tough as he thinks he is. Or if he is soft as the mind of Christ. And took him through quite a test. Not only did he pass the test, he became even softer out of the confrontation. That is evidence of quality discipleship. On his part. You see... We have to be tested at this point. Are we truly willing to have an honest appraisal? Or do I need those buzzing lies again? I mean, flies buzzing around my head, annoying me for another ten years. But if you're willing to say what you're doing in honesty, then you're ready for a turning point. Considering and turning. Making that turn. Going from this lifestyle of walking after the flesh, coming over to this lifestyle of walking after the Spirit. There has to be a change of mind, a change of will, a change of feelings, a change of conduct, and confession with restitution. So if Marcos confesses a bunch of his garbage and I, <clears throat> and I give him a homework assignment about going and talking to someone, reconciling with someone or whatever, and he won't do it or didn't do it or whatever, he didn't make the turn. I don't care what he tells me. I don't care what his wife tells me. He didn't make the turn. It's all playing games with God. He's going to win the game. You're going to lose. He'll play the game. But you will lose. But when I got a story back of him walking into a house of an elderly couple. May I tell this? Walking into a house of an elderly couple that earlier in his gang life uh, they smashed into, or he was aware of the person who did smash into this couple's life. Grandma had a heart attack that night. Has not been the same since, but she did live through it. And just took out basically a whole corner of their house, right? And they go in there and they reconcile with this couple because they were a part of this relationship. And Marcos, what was the response of Grandma and Grandpa overall?
Was it an emotional time for them? Was it a healing time for them? I guarantee you, Marcos, you're going to hear about that on the other side. It's called eternal weight of glory. What is done on earth is done in heaven. What is released on earth is released in heaven. We just don't keep record of it. But I happen to serve a God that does. He says every word that proceeds out of the mouth of man will be recorded in the book of life. You're going to hear about it again. The time you swore at your parents, the time you swore at a boss, the time you resisted authority from your pastor, you're going to hear about it again. But if you're an indwell believer, you will be appropriately redeemed. The blood of Christ will mark through that sin. Sin after sin after sin after sin. Your identity will wash out what was recorded about you. If you think you're getting on the other side and nothing will be said, you're not finishing off the proper thinking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all being recorded. You can wrestle in your thought life, but when it goes to behavior, God picks his pencil up. Because being tempted is not sinning. Didn't Jesus get tempted in all things? Yet without sin. Didn't get filed. That's possible for us today. So if you think you need a pure mind thinking all day long to live like what we're talking about, no, I'm afraid that's not it. It's decisions of sin. This is critical right here. To turn toward God's ways, and it happens all day long, every day of our lives. Stuff we need to be honest about. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.